This is episode 323 with Shalina Ayana. Welcome to the Melissa Ambrosini Show. I'm your host, Melissa, best-selling author of Mastering Your Mean Girl and Open Wide. And I'm here to remind you that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. Each week, I'll be getting up close and personal with thought leaders from around the globe, as well as your weekly dose of motivation so that you can create epic change in your own life and become the best version of yourself possible. Are you ready, beautiful? If you want to listen to my episodes one day earlier than they are released anywhere else, you have to download the app Himalaya and follow my show. Himalaya is free, super easy to use, and has every podcast you can think of. I love that you can leave comments under each episode and even create episode playlists. Make sure you check it out today. Shalina is the founder and visionary of Rising Women. She is a conscious relationship and spiritual psychology writer, the co-founder of an eight-week online program called Heal Your Relationships, and the co-author of The Mystic Moon Guide. She spent four years as an apprentice in transpersonal therapy, depth psychology, and shadow work with a spiritual teacher, and then went on to co-facilitate women's groups and conscious relationship workshops. Together with her husband, Ben, she continues to learn from elder teachers and therapists in the realms of couples therapy and conscious communication. This is such a juicy episode. If you want a conscious relationship and want to take your relationship to the next level, this is for you. We chat in this episode about the unskippable number one step you must do before attempting to enter any relationship, how to completely transform your life, how to unlock your self-imposed heart padlock, the hidden powers of being present, how to rewire our hurtful patterns how to navigate the space of conflict with your partner in a safe and healthy and loving way, how you and your soulmate can awaken and release your full potential together, how to take responsibility and how doing the shadow work can completely rewrite your fear-based stories, the juicy secret to attract the conscious partner of your dreams, how to respond to your partner's lack of commitment in your relationship, plus so much more. And for everything that we mention in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes and that's over at melissaambrosini.com forward slash 323. Now, before we dive into this juicy conversation, I want to read the review of the week. And this week, it is a five-star review titled Such Awesome Content from Juno. And Juno says, I love this podcast. Such diverse content, which is uplifting, inspiring, motivating, and challenging all in equal measures. It encourages me to open my heart and mind to new ideas and challenge myself to be the best version of me. Love, love, love. Thank you so much, Juno, for that beautiful review. I am so grateful. And as a little thank you gift, I want to send you my wildly wealthy guided meditation. All you have to do is send me an email of a screenshot of your review to hello at melissaambrosini.com and I will send that over to you. And if you want to get your hands on my Bursting with Love guided meditation, all you have to do is submit a review on Amazon for either Open Wide or Mastering Your Mingo or both. And again, send me a screenshot and I'll send that over to you. And now, without further ado, let's bring on this goddess, the one and only... Shalina Ayana. Beautiful Shalina, I am so excited to have you on the show. Before we dive in, can you tell us what you had for breakfast this morning? (laughs) What did I have for breakfast this morning? I had two poached eggs, soft. I had some really yummy potatoes and I had these little gluten-free corn muffins and salad. <laughs> Yum. Big breakfast. I love it. Yeah. 
I am so excited to have you on the show. I love the work that you and your husband do, and I'm excited to dive into conscious relationships because I wrote a book called Open Wide, A Radically Real Guide to Deep Love, Rocking Relationships, and Soulful Sex. And in it, I talk a lot about the masculine and the feminine and how to have a conscious relationship. And it's a question that I get asked a lot, and I'm sure you do too, but I want to know what is a conscious relationship? How do we have one? And how do we call one in? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a good question. And I think one of the key factors is how's your relationship to yourself first and foremost, because I think in our culture, our conditioning is very much to seek externally. It's to look outside of ourselves for that person to meet our needs, that person who's going to make us all better, that person who's going to sort of solve all of our problems. And there's really nobody out there that exists to do all of those things, except for the person that you are with right now, this very moment, and that is you. So before I even go into how to, you know, maybe call somebody else in, I always like to ask people, how is your relationship to your own internal world? You know, what is your relationship to your own unconscious patterning and to your wounds and to your core belief systems? You know, are you aware of what's running behind the surface when it comes to your ideas about love and relationship and connection, intimacy and vulnerability? Because we can only go as deep with others as we can go with ourselves. Right. And so we'll, we'll constantly attract a partner who is willing to go as far as we're willing to go or bring us to our edge or who is going to mirror the work that we have to do. And I think that that's the misconception about conscious relationship that once you get into it, everything's going to be perfect. I think conscious relationship is really about finding somebody that you can, you know, love and have amazing time with and, you know, have a friendship, but also do the work. Yeah, it's so true. Often people will say to Nick and I, oh, it must be perfect and easy. And I'm like, no, when you get into a conscious relationship, that's when like it starts, like the work together starts. And when you enter a conscious relationship, you are marrying or you are committing to helping them heal their wounds as well. I know for a lot of people, it can feel like, oh, this is so hard and the grass is greener on the other side. But when I married my husband, I also married the fact that I'm going to help support him move through his wounds. And that's what I signed up for. And I think that's really important to mention as well, because people think, oh, it's all easy once you meet your soulmate or once once you meet your one. And it's that's when the work happens. And I love that you spoke about doing the internal work first. So my book is broken up into three sections. And the first section is all about your relationship with yourself because we can't even look at your relationship with your beloved or calling in your beloved until you have addressed that relationship with yourself. So what are some of the things that we can ponder, the questions that we can ask to go within? Where do we begin with that? One of the places that I started when I was diving really deep was my relationship to my inner child really getting in touch with, you know, the most vulnerable part of myself and then comparing that to how do I show up now and what are my walls and where am I guarded and where am I holding myself back from actually being loved? So as much as we say we want something and we say that we want to be in partnership, what I actually find is that If we are constantly attracting or chasing avoidant partners, or if we find ourselves in relationships that, you know, don't serve what it is that we say we want, there's actually a part of us that is distracted from what we really want. And we're kind of indulging in the easy path, which is not having to look at our own blocks to intimacy and vulnerability by being with somebody who, you know, presents that much stronger on the outside. And so we can just blame that on them. (laughs) And that's where shadow work comes in, is looking at those parts of our inner world that are, you know, saboteurs and that are preventing us from having what we want that say, you can't actually have that you're not good enough, you're not worthy enough, you're not pretty enough, whatever the story is, 
And I think the ego really does come up with all sorts of really unique mechanisms to keep us at an arm's length from intimacy and vulnerability. That's sort of the ego's MO is to survive and to be right. And in order to survive and be right, we most of the time need to do that alone because being in relationship is the most vulnerable and intimate thing you could do. And it is the biggest risk you could take because in relationship, in order to go deep, you have to be seen and you have to be seen sometimes as they say, warts and all, right? And so I think really doing that deep dive at, you know, is there a part of me that pushes love away? Is there a part of me that, you know, doesn't actually want to do the work? And really kind of coming to terms with that, not necessarily bringing any shame or guilt, but really just owning that and then bringing gentleness and compassion to the process so you can inch your way into vulnerability and intimacy um, in a safe way. A lot of people I've heard say things like, well, if I don't open myself up, then I can't get hurt. And I know after I had my heart broken the first time in my early 20s, I literally put like an imaginary padlock over my heart because I thought, well, I'm not going to do that again because it's too risky and it hurts too much. So what would you say to someone who is in that place right now where they're like, well, it's just easier and safer if I just don't be vulnerable and lean into love? I think it really comes down to asking, what do you actually want? If what you want is to live in that guarded space, and that's truly what you want, then who am I to say do something else? If what you want is not lining up with how you're showing up, then maybe there's some work to do there. I think we have it in our minds that it's too risky and that it's going to hurt too much and we should just wall ourselves off until we feel safe and then we can go and practice relationship but it's through the practice that we learn to feel safe. We heal in relationship. You know, our nervous systems learn to regulate with other nervous systems. One of the tools that I really love to recommend to people who are feeling that major anxiety and that stress is doing somatic experiencing and really, you know, working with the nervous system because that fear and that anxiety, it runs pretty deep in the system. And we can't just push through some of those things. You know, that's our primal conditioning saying, hey, stop, don't do it. Don't be seen. Don't let love in. This could be, you know, life or death. Regardless of whether or not that's true, your body is running on a program. And I found if those people have trauma or even pre-verbal trauma where they maybe don't even know what's behind their anxiety or their fears, they might get stuck in a pattern and not know how to change it. And as much as they say they want to, they'll be frustrated when people say, well, you just have to try harder because they are trying. And sometimes it's nervous system deep. And so that's where I think, you know, really working with the body can help as well. Yeah. How do we do that? What do you like recommend? Well, I mean, there's a lot of great practitioners. The interesting thing is, is that it's become such a popular modality, I guess, that it's really difficult, I find, to get into practice with a facilitator who actually has open books. <laughs> there are a few practitioners who operate online, and there's some amazing books. You know, there's The Body Keeps Score is an awesome book. There's Waking the Tiger by Peter Levine. Pretty much any of Peter Levine's work, actually. He's the guy who you know, created somatic experiencing in terms of turning it into a modality and and creating a training around it. So doing that work and then, you know, just finding safe environments to explore your body, to explore your sensations. So if you're doing something really simple, it could be doing trauma-informed yoga. You know, there are trauma-informed yoga classes and teachers out there who teach you how to go through the process and really tune into your body and the messages it's giving you. And I also created a free healing your inner child meditation that you can download on my website, risingwoman.com. And what I love about that meditation is 
that it's a meditation that I actually guided myself through for many years when I was learning to self-soothe and learning to move into secure attachment uh, and to sort of heal some of my own anxious patterns. And so eventually I just recorded the meditation and worked with a friend to create um, some beautiful music with it. And the people who go through that meditation say that it's really transformed them and opened them up to connect to their inner child. And sometimes what it takes is for us to just open the channels back up, you know, to listen, because we've really been conditioned to dismiss our needs and ignore our bodies. So we might be having red flags go off and we're ignoring them. We can feel them, but we dismiss them, right? And so it's a reconnection process. Mm, Beautiful. I learned how to self-soothe very early in my journey, and it was one of the best things that I ever learned in my healing journey. It's so interesting because I'm like, why are we not taught how to self-soothe from a young age? Like when we're babies, our mother will kind of soothe us, but why are we then not taught as soon as we understand how to self-soothe ourselves? So one thing that I do literally, and, and I haven't actually, I used to deal with anxiety and panic attacks a lot. And that's when I was doing a lot of the self-soothing. And I actually haven't done it in a while. But what I would literally do was lay down. I'd place one hand on my belly and one on my heart. I would close my eyes. I would take a couple of deep breaths and I would literally stroke my heart like I would like the back of a child. I would stroke my heart and I would just say, it's okay. I've got you. I'm here. I've got you. You're okay. I love you. I've got you. I'm here. And I would just literally say that over and over again. And I would feel my nervous system go from heightened back to regulating itself. And, you know, maybe it was like five minutes, 10 minutes. I don't even know. But that's what I did. How do you self-soothe? Yeah. I mean, I love that practice. I think that that is probably one of the simplest and most gentle practices that we can all do to self-soothe. And I do something very similar where I lay in my bed with my hand on my heart and one on my belly and I say affirmations to myself or I call forth my inner child and really tune into what what it is that she has to share with me. But, you know, sometimes what I do to self-soothe is actually reach out for support because I think the the whole idea of self-soothing doesn't have to mean that we do it alone. It just simply means that we're taking responsibility to soothe ourselves rather than projecting our energy outward or making demands, right? Which is the child self. It's that outer child coming and having a tantrum saying, you know, meet my needs and show up for me the way that I say. And it's this really unintegrated way to ask for support. So I like to say that self-soothing is is also the process of learning to extend. And so sometimes that's calling a friend or that's asking my partner if they have space for me to share or to process. So it can it can look a variety of ways. It can be as simple as, you know, looking around the room and noticing what's in the room with you and saying, I'm here and noticing, you know, the color of the walls and noticing, you know, how your bum feels in your seat. And, you know, what are the objects that are in the room and really grounding and being present to your environment while also noticing the sensations in your body. That's a very simple somatic tool that pretty much every somatic therapist on the planet will use with their client when they're first getting them into somatic work is the most simple exercise ever. But most of us don't do that. We don't feel the sensations in our body while being in our head. We do one or the other. Mm. So for someone who's never heard of somatic work, what is it and how do we do it? Well, somatic just means body and just exactly what I described, that's somatic work. It's learning how to be in our bodies and also communicate in our minds at the same time and to not be completely dismissive of our body sensations and to be present, right? So if I'm looking at the color of the sky and I'm also feeling my heart beating and my chest expanding as I take a big breath, that is being in my body while also noticing the color of the sky. It's very, very simple. It sounds, you know, too simple. But most of us, when we begin doing the work, don't know what it really means to be in our bodies and to be aware at the same time. 
And so that's why I think a lot of people have a hard time rewiring their patterns or, you know, changing the way that they show up in relationship or asking for support because it's one or the other. They're either taken over by their emotional state and they have no conscious awareness to sort of talk to themselves through that or they're completely in their heads and they're ignoring their sensations and their feelings entirely and not giving any permission to speak to that or to to honor that state. So what we really want when we're doing the work is just integration. It's the integration of, you know, the body, the mind, of the shadow, of all of our parts. We're not extracting anything. We're not changing anything. We're not, you know, you're not broken. You don't need to be fixed. But that piece of integration is really where it's at. Absolutely. And then embodiment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that comes just through practice. Embodiment doesn't happen overnight. You know, you can hear a teaching or you can know a principle and you can recite it very eloquently and still not know it on a body level, right? And that, that integration just takes time and practice and consistency and there's no perfection. So it's really a day-to-day, moment-to-moment dance. How do you and your husband, when stuff comes up, like let's get really practical, what do you guys do when something comes up? How do you address it? How do you move through it? Because I think it's these kinds of tools and strategies and techniques that really help people. So what do you do when anything comes up in your relationship? What's the next step? Well, I mean, what we used to do was really unproductive. So we used to just have a big fight and then I would get anxious and want to work it out right now. And he would get avoidant and not want to talk for three days. And I would make it all about him because I was the conscious one who wanted to work it out. But it wasn't really until I learned how to, you know, regulate my own nervous system and to give him some space that he so desperately needed to collect his thoughts and to like be with his feelings that we started to actually you know, navigate the space of conflict in a more healthy way. And I'd say that took us about two and a half years. The other piece is that I I did a lot of somatic work so that my system could actually process things in a more gentle way. And now what happens when we have a conflict is, I mean, first we have, usually we have weekly clearings. So we've, we check in with each other, you know, at least once per week and we sit in front of each other and we do what's called a clearing. And it basically, you're holding space for one another. You take turns and you share whatever is on your mind. We have different scripts actually that we follow for conflict resolution that we learned from the Gottmans and from Harville Hendricks. We did some their workshops. We did getting the love you want workshop. And I also actually did a facilitator training in Imago therapy. So I actually find scripts work wonderfully, even though people are like, that's so cheesy and that's so fake. I can't believe that you would use a script, but it's just a script to keep you on the rails. And what you insert in terms of what you're feeling, that's not scripted. It's just that if you follow a script, especially when you're first practicing conflict resolution, if you two tend to get really, you know, you want to talk about it for hours until you're exhausted or people are getting triggered, it's nice to have a system to follow that won't allow you to start hurling insults or judgments or blame. So that piece is pretty crucial, I think. Oh, for sure. My husband and I call that a love bubble. We have a love bubble. And so one of us will call it and we'll say, hey, can we have a love bubble tonight? And they'll say, yeah, sure. You know, and then we get into bed, we sit opposite each other. We sometimes hold hands, you know, stare at each other and we let each other speak without interrupting. And we do not say anything until the other person has said, and that's it, or and that is all. And then the other person will respond. We have scripts too. The other person will respond with what I'm hearing is, or they'll start with, thank you for sharing. What I'm hearing is, and then they'll go in and then they'll get to share. And it's such a beautiful way to communicate. It's a really beautiful way to hold space for each other, to move through things. And It's something so simple and you don't have to call it a love bubble. Like you can call it a weekly clearing, like what you do, call it whatever you want, but it's really important that you take that time because a lot of people don't even take that time. And then they wonder why their relationship is frazzling. So it's really important. And 
I would love to hear your perspective on this too. Like it's so important that I believe there's three entities in a relationship. There's me, there's him, and then there's us. I need to do my work. He needs to do his work. And then there's the work that we do together on our relationship. Is that the same for you guys? Yeah. I mean, how we see it is sort of like you, me, garden, right? We're doing gardening together and you can't expect the garden to feed you if you're not both watering it. And that's a, you know, they call it the sacred triad. And I think having that frame is quite important because as soon as we believe that we are just meant to feed each other, my my teacher used to speak of it as the battery relationship where two people are like plugging into each other and trying to feed off of each other's energy. And that's not sustainable. So when you have something, you can call it spirit, source, God, garden, whatever you want to call it, you're feeding back, you know, you're, you're creating something together. And that's that relationship. It's that entity that you said, and then it becomes not so much about you anymore. And, and I think, you know, a true partnership, you know, we say that, that the last stage of relationship is like true partnership when you're really actually friends with one another. Maybe the honeymoon phase is not, not as present anymore, but you've really made it to this space where, you know, you're in the state of equality, you have polarity and there's mutual respect, there's mutual admiration and, and you no longer make it all about you. It can now be about service. Right. And so your relationship is no longer this codependent cult of two. It's about you both and the relationship and how that relationship can bring more energy to the world. Right. So what can you be doing as a team that you couldn't be doing if you were distracted with relationship dynamics that weren't healthy or serving you? Or, you know, even if you were just, you know, trying to do it on your own, how can you see your partner as your team member and your ally to go out and be of service in the world? I think that's a really nice goal for for us as well, is that's the, the goal, if you want to say in a masculine terms of our relationship is, you know, how can we be of more service to the world by loving each other well? And there's real power in two, you know, and that, that saying better together, like there's so much strength and power when two united conscious people go out into the world and serve the world. It's such a beautiful thing. Talk to me about transpersonal therapy. What is that? It's essentially, it's like spiritual psychology. So you've got a blend of the esoteric and, and therapy. And it's really, you know, you're doing deeper work, uh, that is not all about you. <laughs> it's not all about, you know, just you and your stuff. It's also about connecting to spirit and, you know, seeing there's as a higher power outside of you doing shadow work, that kind of thing. What is shadow work? For someone who's like, what is shadow work? How do I know I need to do it? Where do I start? Shadow work is the practice of looking at the parts of ourselves that are most often ignored, denied, or repressed. And we all need to do shadow work if we want to feel awake and aware of what is happening in our reality and why we do certain things. Like I said in the beginning around, you know, that part of ourselves that is a saboteur, that part of ourselves that wants to push love away, that part of ourselves that says, you're not actually good enough to have a healthy relationship. So you should just put up with this or you should take what you can get, right? That's all the ego. And when we're doing shadow work, we're looking at how our ego covertly kind of hijacks the conversation. And even though the ego's role is to keep us safe and we don't want to obliterate the ego, we also don't want the ego running the show. We want to be in right relationship with that part of ourselves. So that part of our mind that tells stories, right? So we meet somebody and maybe they say something that hurts our feelings. And instead of speaking to it, we build a story in our mind about their intentions and that they're you know, they're going to hurt us and that they don't actually care about us at all. They don't love us anymore. They never did. We're worthless. This always happens. It's that, you know, that storyteller. I'm sure that people listening can, oh yeah, I've, I've heard that story in my head before, right? It's the poor me story. And, and so when we're doing shadow work, we're looking at that part of our mind that just wants to write people off or that wants to keep us safe. And instead of indulging in that voice, we own it. And then we can do things like reality checks. Like, hey, you know, when this happened, it really hurt my feelings. And the story that I made up was, I just want to do a reality check. Like, is that true? 
you know, and that's where we take responsibility. We can't do that if we believe everything our mind tells us. And that's where shadow work comes in. It's learning to be a conscious observer of your mind rather than believing every single thought you think. Yes. I call that voice inside our head, the inner critic or your inner mean girl. And that's my first book. It's Mastering Your Inner Mean Girl. And it's so important that we become aware of that voice because a lot of people let that voice run and ruin their life. Like that voice is in the driver's seat of their life, but it doesn't have to be that way. Like your highest self, your truth can be in the driver's seat. And it's so much more rewarding when that is in the driver's seat and not out in a critic. And something that you highlighted there, which is really important, is the phrase, the story I'm telling myself. So I think the first time I heard this was from Brene Brown many years ago, maybe in one of her talks or her books, I can't remember, but she says that, she uses that phrase, the story I'm telling myself. And so whenever I go to Nick, that is one of the first things I say, the story I'm telling myself is. And then it dissolves so much of the conflict that could have been there if I went to him with blame and judgment and you made me feel like this. And I always say this, like every time you point the finger, there's three fingers pointing right back at you to take responsibility, to take ownership. If you want to have a conscious relationship, if you want to have beautiful, deep, soulful relationships, you've got to take responsibility for yourself and how you're showing up. And so by saying that, the story I'm telling myself is such a powerful way to disarm the projection of blame on the other person. I use this with my friends as well, you know, in friendships. And it feels scary sometimes because it's being, you know, you're very vulnerable and it feels scary, but it's the only way to be open and honest and vulnerable. Yeah. I mean, these are, these are really not new teachings. These have been around forever and it's always available to us to learn how to be observers of our mind. I mean, my, my spiritual teacher trained in the lineage of Osho and Gurdjieff. And so, you know, they were doing really wacky stuff back then. But Gurdjieff talks a lot about how we were just, we're just essentially machines versus computers, right? We're just programmed. And he speaks in, in quite a like masculine kind of techie way <laughs> that, you know, a lot of people might not resonate with. But what's true is that we really are kind of computers and, you know, we, we go through something once and that's the program. And so we have to take a step back and, and do reality checks and, and see if what we're telling ourselves is true. And then ask ourselves, do I really want to have a relationship right now or do I want to be right? And sometimes being right means you believing the story that something is wrong with you or that you're broken. And that's the ego. Like that's the ego coming in and saying, see, I told you, you're just not good enough. You better go back to the comfort zone. And and so this is why I think relationship is so hard. And sometimes I don't even want to do it, to be honest with you, because it's actually the hardest thing for me. Some people say relationships very easy for them. And I'm like, well, that's great for you. <laughs> it's not easy for me at all. And I've never experienced it being easy because I'm a survivor archetype. That's that's how I grew up. And so for me, it's like my greatest challenge is to practice relationship when really I would love to just retreat into the mountains and, you know, be alone. And so I think in some ways, it's almost as though we're pushed into experiences that are going to take us to our edge and encourage us and invite us to grow. And so sometimes when I'll write about how relationship is really challenging sometimes for some of us. And I get people who want to argue about it. And I'm like, no, no, I'm not here to argue with you about if you think relationship is easy, that's awesome for you. But I'm speaking to that particular subset of people. And dare I say, most people who don't find relationship that easy, because we're being stretched constantly to see our own projections and to sort of look at the parts of ourselves that want to be saved or that would rather, you know, give all of our energy to somebody else rather than be with what's inside of us. And that's a challenge that's hard sometimes. Mm, absolutely. Your husband, Ben, is a conscious man. He does similar work. I get this question a lot, and I'm sure you do as well. People say to me, I want a conscious man. Where do I find a conscious man? 
How can I call in a conscious man? Besides doing the inner work on ourselves, what's the next step? I mean, letting go maybe. <laughs> Honestly, I feel that so many people ask, so many people ask me that and I feel that, you know, the timing isn't up to us. It's not. Some people think that it is, you know, people told me when I was single and I I was going to meet Ben that, you know, I needed to get on all the dating apps. And if I wanted to find a partner, I needed to get out there. And I said, no, I don't. I don't need to do anything because if I'm meant to meet my partner, he'll walk through my front door if I never leave my house because I just trust in the timing. And you know what? I bumped into him at a coffee shop after he asked me out like twice and I didn't show up because I wasn't ready. And we just, we found each other. and. This isn't to say that you just, you know, you want to sit on a prayer cushion and just, you know, visualize him and and he'll walk through the door. I know that that sounds crazy, but I think where I'm getting at with it is just loosen the grip a little bit, you know, loosen your grip because the harder we're grasped onto something coming to us in the way that we think it's meant to come to us, we're actually limiting ourselves in that because there could be something else, right? I've heard people say, I don't want to move back. I love my hometown and I miss my family, but I don't want to move back there because I could never meet a man there. And, and then I say, is that true? Like, can you really not meet a person there? And so, nope, it's just such a small town. Everybody knows everybody. And I said, so it's not possible. And so I actually had a friend who was in that story for a very, very long time. To the, she wanted to immigrate from Australia to Canada. It was this whole thing. Eventually, she finally moved back. And what do you know? She met a partner in that really small hometown where there's no men. So I think that it's important to look at our stories too, is like, just live your life and do what feels good for you. Follow your flow, trust yourself, go have that adventure. Don't wait for a partner. And that person might just show up in the very place that you refuse to go until you found them. Totally. Don't wait. Go and live your life and be in your joy because that is sexy. And that vibration is the vibration that you want to attract your soul partner. I share this story in my book about one of my girlfriends who was single and she really wanted to call in her soulmate. She'd done so much shadow work, so much therapy, so much somatic work. She'd done everything, right? And she really wanted to meet her one. And she wanted to travel. Like she'd always say, I want to travel the world with my one. I want to travel the world with my one. And then she had this realization. She was like, I'm not waiting for my one to go and travel. I'm going to go and travel. And she ended up traveling and ended up in Peru in the jungle. And she found her one in the jungle, in the middle of the Amazon jungle. Like just, it's amazing where life takes you. But, you know, there's no point, like you said, sitting at home, sitting on your prayer cushion or visualizing that person. That's beautiful. But you've got to go out there and be the vibration that you want to call into your life. That is attractive. That is magnetic. And that is sexy. Yeah. I mean, ultimately just honoring who you really are. You know, some people are going to want to go and travel the world. Other people are going to go to the coffee shop in their pajamas like I did that day. And, you know, it doesn't have to be this big, grand pursuit. I don't believe that. I think, you know, some people now, they do find amazing partners on dating apps. And if you feel drawn to that and you have an intuition that it's going to be right for you, then go and do that. You know, you don't have to close all of the doors. But I just think the idea of loosening our grip on it is an important one to keep with us always and just trust, you know, trust that you're enough, trust that you are worthy, trust that timing is out of your hands. And, you know, some people, they meet their partners much later in life. You know, so that's just how it is. And some people just can't avoid relationship. Like I'm the type of person where every time I've set out to be single, I meet somebody and it's almost like I can't avoid it, right? My deepest lessons are in partnership. And I mean, astrology plays into this too. If you're a believer, I, I've worked with Vedic astrologers for, you know, about 10 years of my life. And, you know, one of my COO is an astrologer. And so she talks about how, you know, most people actually don't have lifetime partnership in their chart, but we have this cultural conditioning. Everybody should be in lifetime partnership. And that's the way to be, you know, you have to have a lifetime partnership. If your partnership ends, that it's not okay. Or if you meet your partner, like way too late, there's all these judgments. And I 
I don't necessarily think that's true, right? There's so many different life paths we're here to live. And who knows what your soul came here for? Exactly. That's so interesting. Yeah, I love Vedic astrology. It's so interesting. Do you know where is Saturn for you? Do you know what house Saturn is in? No, I can't remember. My Saturn is in Mula. So if you under, if you know the nakshatras, the 27 nakshatras in the system. So in, in Vedic astrology, there are 27 nakshatras that are sort of like in the houses with the planets and the constellations. And there's usually four in each one. And they're all represented by a god or a goddess and a different symbol. And I sort of consider them like life path stamps. So there's a lot of depth to what your soul is here for in each nakshatra that's in your planet. And Mula is the goddess Nariti. And so she's much more fierce than Kali. We always think Kali is the fierce goddess, but actually Nariti is the most feared because she doesn't just like cut off your head to bring you truth. Like she burns everything down and it's gone. It's like everything is gone and then something new can birth. So what I've found is how that plays out in my life is that all of my life lessons have been incredibly challenging where everything is just ripped away all at once. And it's like rock bottom, burn the house down. You don't get to keep anything from that life. And then entirely new stuff can transpire. So that's it's a tough one, actually, Saturn and Mula, but it's also, it can be really life-giving if you surrender to it. It's a big thing, the trust and surrender in all areas of our life. You know, we want to control. Humans want to control. We want to hold on with white knuckle grip. My husband calls it gripping. He'll say to me, you're gripping, babe, you're gripping. And I'm like, oh, yes, I am gripping. I am gripping. And it's really not supportive for our growth, for our evolution, for our health, for our business, for anything when we hold on like that, letting go, surrendering and trusting the process of life, like because everything is unfolding the way it's supposed to for our highest good. It is. Otherwise, it wouldn't be happening. There's lessons in it for us. There's growth in it for us always. So what about if someone is in a partnership right now and their partner is not willing to do the work. This is another one that I hear so often. I'm sure. Do you hear this too? Yeah, it's the classic question. (laughs) It's the classic question. So yeah, what can they do if their partner's just not willing to do the work? Well, firstly, I really empathize with anyone who's going through that because, I mean, when I used to sit in my shadow work groups with my spiritual teacher, we would get that question every week, basically. And he'd always just say, you can do the work no matter who you're with because the work is inner work and you know you can go to God with whoever you're with. And I think that that's true and I understand the essence of it. And I also know that for myself, I could not be in partnership with somebody who wasn't willing to do the work for me with me because it's my whole life, right? Like this is my life path. Like I'm a writer, a facilitator, a teacher. Not everybody needs that. And I think that that's where we can get confused is to think that, you know, as soon as we start doing the work, that our partner needs to be doing it in the exact same way as us, or they're not doing the work and maybe they're not right for us. So sometimes there's this spiritual ego that can come in when we begin to do the work where we think that we're better than our partner now or we're better than people around us because now we're doing the work, we're conscious and they're not. Sometimes we're with a partner who doesn't need to do the same kind of work as us, actually. Maybe that's really not their path. And so I think, again, that loosening the grip and really just taking a step back before you jump to your judgments or your assumptions and really focus on yourself for a bit. I think it's pretty obvious at times when you're in a partnership that's just clearly misaligned where, you know, the partner is, you know, there's no mutual respect, there's not mutual love, there's not mutual companionship, trust, those kinds of things. Those are like deal breakers, right? So getting clear on what your deal breakers are, because I think there's a lot of people who can be very happy doing their spiritual work in relationship and have their partner doing something different, like maybe their partner just isn't that interested, but they can still have a wonderful partnership because those core values are aligned. And sometimes you can't, right? If you're like a deep, dark seeker, you know, I have some, some girlfriends who are, you know, 
they'll never be able to be with a partner who isn't going to go to the depths with them. And so I think getting clear too on, you know, what are your hard stops? What are your deal breakers? What are your core values? What is it that you need in partnership to really feel fulfilled? And before throwing in the towel, you know, bring that to your partner and see where they're willing to meet you or where they're willing to dance. Because when we try to push our partner into doing the work, they're probably going to resist it just because we're trying to push them and rather than just doing our work and leading by example and letting them find their own path. Totally. No one wants to be told what to do, how to do it, or when to do it. Children included. Like, children do not. I have a teenage stepson. I call him my bonus son, but he's 14 at the moment. And no one wants to be told what to do or how to do it. And I think leading by example, walking the talk, embodying, like we spoke about at the start of this, embodying is the best way to inspire anyone. I dedicated a whole chapter to understanding your core values in my book because it's so important. And then I get people to work out their deal breakers. Like, what are your deal breakers? For some people, it's religion. Like, they have to be the same religion. You know, some people, it's they have to want to have kids. Uh, You know, other people, they're like, either way, it doesn't matter. So it's really important that you get super clear on your deal breakers before you enter a partnership. And, And also, what you were saying is like, some people in a partnership might not have to do as much inner work as as the other person. And one person might need to meditate many times throughout the day. Someone else, it might be surfing. And that is how they connect spiritually. That's how they feel grounded. So it can look a certain way. It can look different for different people. It doesn't have to look a certain way. And we can't judge that. I think it's so important that we be flexible in our minds and we allow them to do what feels right for them. Yeah. I mean, we're always looking for people to just be like us so that we can feel safe. And I think, again, that's, you know, there's shadow work to do there. Am I trying to turn this person into me so that I can feel safe? Can I be with our differences and see them as a gift? For example, you know, my husband and I, we have very opposite skills in the realms of finance. I'm I'm an earner and a spender, right? And he's a manager and investor. He's much more conservative in how he is with money. And in the beginning, it was sort of a conflict point for us because I would want to spend and he would want to save and we would fight. And, you know, now we have these amazing check-ins where we, we have become a team, you know, and we each have our role in, in our home around money and we communicate really openly about it. It feels really safe and exciting and we respect what each of us are bringing to the table when it comes to money and we can collaborate. And it's because we are so different and opposite that we're the perfect team, right? Because it's like two halves make a whole. And so it's the same, I think, for most areas of relationship. We often see our partner's differences as a threat. And they're not. Oftentimes, our partner's differences are a gift. And we're just not using those gifts because we're caught in the power struggle. We're caught in that ego stage of struggle and compete and compare and judge and criticize. And what we want to get to is that evolution where we see that partner as our team member and our ally and somebody who has, you know, different needs and different dreams and desires. And how can we support them in bringing those to fruition? But also, how can we bridge the gaps together and, you know, combine our skill sets so that we can really bring some magic to our home and to our environments, to our families, communities? Yeah, so beautiful. What are you and Ben working on at the moment? Is there anything in particular that you guys are moving through right now? Like in our personal relationship or? Yeah, in your personal relationship. Yeah, you know, I think what we're working on right now is if you're familiar with David Data's, you know, three stages of relationships. So there's sort of like the macho bimbo stage and then there's the partnership stage of equality and then there's the stage where you're doing the repolarization. And I think we're working on that third stage of repolarization. We've got this really beautiful equal partnership and there's so much mutual respect and admiration and friendship. And now we're working on that repolarization of bringing all that we have built over the years of doing the work together to sort of like reinvigorate that honeymoon phase for the sake of the partnership, not because we are, you know, in the beginning stages and flooded with 
you know, happy chemicals. Because when you're in the honeymoon phase, all the hormones that are rushing through your body are distracting you from all of the things that you're going to have to work out later. Right. And so we get into the power struggle phase and, you know, that's when all the work comes. So we, you know, we've navigated a lot of that to get to this place. And now we're like, okay, what's next? You know, how can we reinvigorate this in a, in a deeper way? Yeah, we'll link to David Dieter's work in the show notes, his book, The Way of the Superior Man and Dear Lover. They were very impactful for me on my journey. I read Dear Lover probably eight years ago now, and it really... It changed a lot for me. So I, I love his work. I have one of my great friends. They're doing work with him. They've done some, I think he's done retreats or things like that. I think actually they might be working with him one-on-one at the moment. So he is amazing. And we'll link to his books and work in the show notes. But speaking of books, if you could put one book in the school curriculum of every single high school around the world, what is one book that you would choose? I think one of them is Getting the Love You Want by Harville Hendricks. It's it's just phenomenal. I mean, obviously, everybody knows this book, I think, in the personal growth space. But it's always the first book that I recommend to people because there's so much depth there around our you know earliest childhood conditioning and our family programming and our relationships to ourselves and to others. And, you know, they're, they're real pioneers in the space of conscious relationships. So that one is for sure a great start. Yes, we'll link to that in the show notes. I would love to hear more about you and your rituals. I'd love to hear about your morning routine. Do you have a routine that sets you up for the day? And how does your, like a typical day in your life unfold? Can you share all of your routines with us? Yeah, I don't have any. That's my routine. I'm very much not a subscriber to routines. And that's because I'm wildly creative and chaotic. And I've just found that trying to stick to things for me and my flow, it just doesn't feel like that's what my design is. What is your human design, by the way? I'm a splenic projector and my profile is the 6'2", so the role model hermit. Wow. And do you know, in Ayurveda, are you a vata? A uh, vata pitta, yeah. Yes. Yeah, no, that definitely explains you for sure. Your human design and your vata, yeah. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. So, I mean, for me, it's just about learning to tune into what I need in that day and I love to have the freedom to just follow my creative flow. So I obviously have to schedule things far in advance because I've got, you know, my team to run and podcasts to record and interviews to do. But outside of that, I try to just leave space for what do I feel like creating today? And, you know, I live in a beautiful neighborhood with the ocean steps away. And so, you know, sometimes in the morning I go out and stretch and then go for a walk with my dog at the beach. And other times I just lay around and I stretch and I drink water and I read or I do nothing. So I just kind of leave it open. And I know a lot of people don't like that answer because there's a lot of conditioning that, you know, we need to have a very specific morning routine in order to be successful. And I think I'm probably the worst example of that. (laughs) No, each to their own. It comes back to tuning in and doing what's right for you. There's no one formula. There's no one morning routine formula that is going to equal success and happiness. It really does come down to maybe try a whole bunch of things and then feel what's right for you. What resonates for you? What rings true for you? What inspires you? And do that. And it may change. It may change every day. It may change every month. It doesn't matter. But what's most important is that you're doing something that is really lighting you up. I'd love to know, what are you reading at the moment? So many books, but I'm also writing a book. So I've been writing a lot more than I've been reading. Yeah. What is your book about? It's about the healing journey. So a lot of the things that we're talking about today, and it's a little bit memoir, a little bit prescriptive. So it's sort of a combination of sharing my story and also a lot of the teachings that I have inherited from my spiritual teacher and and, and the things that have come through me over the years of working with, with women and, and, and with people in groups. When will that be out? And can you tell us the title? I can't tell you the title yet, and it'll be out in 2021, probably in the fall, but we haven't announced it yet. So it's still in the early stages. Wow. And this is your first book. Yeah. I am so excited for you, darling. This is amazing. How exciting. I can't wait to read it. Yeah, it's such a process. It's it's amazing what stories have come up in my mind as I'm beginning, you know, the the early stages and 
yeah, it's, I write every single day. I've been writing since I was three and now I'm writing a book and there's still that little voice that sometimes says, you can't write a book. And I'm like, what? I've already basically written a book. Like I write, you know, 500 words a day on Instagram, but this is just like pushing me a little bit. And so I'm really excited to do it because it's, it's feeling like it's been a lifetime building up to this point. Beautiful. Yes. It's interesting because I'm writing two books this year, my third and my fourth book. And yeah, that little inner mean girl still sometimes creeps in as like, what are you doing? Who do you think you are? But I've learned so much now that to just master that voice and come back to my truth, which is to share. And that is the most important thing. I'm curious of your writing process. Do you have a particular time you write for every day? Do you do it first thing in the morning? Like what's your process? Yeah. So again, I mean, in in human design, I have the channel of perfected form and the genius to freak channels. So for me, it's very always spontaneous. Like I can be just about to get into bed and all of a sudden it's just there. And so I tell my husband, okay, I got to go. And it's like midnight and I'm going downstairs and I write till 2am. Sometimes I have a dream and I wake up and I write it down or it can be the middle of the day. It's everything that I do in my life is honestly so unstructured. And I've just always been that way with my writing and it's either there or it's not. And it's, it's interesting because when I write, I can write like 500 words in a matter of 15 minutes because it's either just like pouring through me and it's not even really mine or I'm forcing it and that doesn't really feel authentic. So I just trust and I let it flow in. And some days I don't write for a couple of days and I'm just marinating on different things that are coming through and then it drops in and that's when I write. <laughs> Beautiful. I am a lot more structured and that is what works for me. I am a generator and a pitta body type. So for me, I get up and I sit down every day at the same time and I write for two and a half hours, sometimes more, but a minimum of two and a half hours. And I do not move until I've done that time slot. And the only time I get up is to go to the bathroom or to get more water. And that's it. I do not like everyone knows, do not interrupt me. My phone is on airplane mode. It is just my dedicated writing time. That's when I'm writing a book. But then when I'm not writing books, I'm a lot more fluid. It's more like if a blog post comes to me and downloads, like what you said, in a certain time, I'll just write or an Instagram post. It's If it just comes to me, that's when I take that. But writing a book and I've got a deadline, I have to hand in my book, my manuscript on a certain date. I have to just like sit down and show up. And some days I write thousands of words. And some days I'm like, that was 700 words and that's it. But, you know, I've showed up, I've done the work and some days it just flows better than others. So I love hearing your process, which is very in alignment with your unique makeup, which I think is really important. We're so different. We're so unique, everyone. And there's no one size fits all with anything, with writing process, with creativity, with the way to eat, relationships, everything. There's no one way. Yeah, it's true. And I, I you know, when you tell me how you are, I used to try so hard to force myself into that box. I was like, that's what I got to do. You know, I got to wake up at a certain time. I have to have a strict routine and then I need to sit down and write for this many hours. I need to do this thing for this hours. And I would have these charts actually of like what I was going to be doing every hour of my day. And I'll tell you, the routines just didn't stick for me. And I would feel uninspired. And I'd be like, well, but I just feel so creative in this way right now. And so I just eventually accepted that. And I, I think that there's a balance too, right? Because we can also be like, oh, they just don't work for me. And then that we just do nothing. But there's balance, obviously, you have to know when you're, you know, deceiving yourself, of course, if I was getting no writing done, then I'd be like, okay, maybe I'm full of shit here. But the thing is, is I think that that uniqueness, that's why I love human design, too, is because we're all so unique in how we are designed. And it, it allows me to accept myself, but also to accept others and how they do things instead of thinking that there's something weird going on because they're doing it in the complete opposite way. I think it's really cool when we can get to know, you know, in our partnership, what works for us and, and in our lives, you know, what feels the best and then actually design that. It's interesting because my husband is a lot more 
he's Vata and he's a manifesting generator. So he's a lot more fluid with his creativity. He's a musician and an entrepreneur. And we have multiple businesses together. And so it would really frustrate me because he's not as systems and structured. Like he'll just start talking to me about something that we actually need a meeting about. Like while I'm in the kitchen, he'll be like, oh, you know, we've got to do this. And I'm like, this is not the time. Like I need to be focused with my pen and paper and like taking notes. And like, I need to be in the zone in order for me to have this meeting. And you're talking to me about it whilst I'm making breakfast. Like it's, it just just doesn't work for me. So we've had to practice what I call crystal clear communication and we've had to work together on, okay, well, he now knows that if he wants to talk to me about something, he has to book a meeting with me. Otherwise, I'll be like, don't talk to me about this right now. Like I'm doing the washing or the cleaning or the cooking or something like that. So it's, yeah, really everyone's so different and that's what makes us all so beautiful and unique. Mm -hmm, Totally. I mean, I think it's funny. We always attract a partner that's the opposite to us. My husband is also very structured. Like he wakes up at the same time every day. He eats the exact same breakfast every single day. Goes into the sauna, does his, you know, does his thing, always has to sit down and work. Even, you know, I say, you you run your own business and you could work at any time. Why don't you just come for a walk or go do your thing? You know, he's like, I'm going to work at this time for this. And so he's very, very structured. And yeah, we're just like the opposites. And sometimes he's like, you're all over the place. It's crazy. And I'm like, it's just how I am. But you know, it's just, you got to learn how, how you work and communicate that with other people and see if they can get on board. And exactly. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. My love, I've got three rapid fire questions for you now. Are you ready? I think so. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. What's one thing that we can do today for our health? I think that that's such a personalized question. I think everybody could tune into their own bodies and ask their body what it is that they need and do that. And it could be something as simple as I need rest, or I actually just need to go and sit and drink a glass of water, or I need to clear a resentment, right? Whatever it is. I think that you probably already know what that thing is. Yeah, exactly. Tuning in. It's been a common theme of this whole episode, tuning in, going inward. Okay, the next one. What's one thing that we can do for more wealth in our life? So more abundance in all areas of our life. Do what you're good at and work with people who are also very good at what they do. And, you know, stop trying to drag a rock uphill, you know, do, do what you're here to do and, and do what you feel called to do. I think so many of us see someone else creating wealth and we just try to model it instead of doing what we're here to do. And that might work, but chances are when you step into your true gift, that is going to be what creates wealth for you. Absolutely. When you are in your flow, when you are in your zone of genius, that's when things usually start to flow a lot more effortlessly. And the third one, what is one thing that we can do for more love in our life? Hmm, More love in our lives. I love the idea of communicating with your inner child. I think that it really does come down to having that direct line of communication to your most vulnerable parts. So really getting in touch with that you know, vulnerable, sensitive part of yourself and opening that channel back up and listening, really listening deeply. Yes. I've done so much inner child healing work over the years and I've absolutely loved it. It's honestly been some of the deepest work that I've done. I have a little tiny photo of my five or six-year-old self beside my bed and I talk to her every day. I talk to her and I say, you know, good morning, darling. I love you. I've got your back. You know, I will not neglect you today. I love you. Like I talk to her all the time and just let her know that I've got her and that I'm with her and I'm holding her hand through this thing called life. And when you have that beautiful, deep connection with your inner child, you'll never feel lonely. You know, you've got yourself. And this is something else that so many people say to me is like, I feel lonely. How do I overcome loneliness. I'm like, when you've really, truly got yourself, like really got yourself, you won't feel that. Or maybe you even sometimes will feel it, but you'll trust that it's okay. You know, I think the pain with loneliness comes in believing that we are all alone and that we're unloved. I think it might even be true that 
feeling loneliness is part of the human condition in a way until we really remember how connected to God we are. And I don't mean like, you know, the man in the sky, but whatever source or connection to spirit you have. And finding our way back, I think, is that process of trusting. And so, like you say, like, I think what you won't feel is this, this belief that if you ever feel loneliness, that that means that you're all alone, knowing that you're held. Yeah. And unlovable. Yeah. Yeah. It's important to remember that for sure. This has been so beautiful, honey. Is there anything else that you want to share or any last parting words of wisdom or anything that you wanted to talk about that we didn't get to chat about? No, I'm pretty in flow. So I think this was a great conversation and I really look forward to some of your listeners coming and checking out my work more. And thank you so much for having me on today. It was a really beautiful flow and I like just seeing where things go and trusting in the unfolding of it all. Me too. My final question, you are of service to so many people, especially women. How can we give back to you? How can we serve you? Mm, Thank you. I think, you know, one of the most powerful things that any woman can do from from reading my work or or you know taking some of my programs is something is for her to actually go out and serve the world herself that's such a gift to me and you know every time i receive a message or you know positive affirmation of how somebody has transformed their lives from my work that fills me up so much too but ultimately you know my my role in my path is really just to be a stand for people to have their power and to really speak their truth and to you know live a healthy beautiful life and um, that is what fills me up it really does it fuels me so much every time I see a woman stepping into her power Mm, it's so beautiful I'm so glad you stepped into your power thank you so much for all the work that you do for sharing today with us so openly and honestly and for being a trailblazer. I'm so grateful our paths have crossed. Thank you so much, my love. Thank you. Wasn't that amazing? I am always looking for ways to dive deeper in my relationship. So I got lots out of this. If you did, please subscribe and leave me a review in iTunes or on your podcast app, because that means that we can inspire and educate even more people together. And it also means that you could be the review of the week for next week, which is pretty awesome. Don't forget to come and follow me on Instagram at Melissa Ambrosini and tell me your top key takeaways from this episode. I absolutely love reading what you guys get from each episode. So come and share it with me. And for everything that we mentioned in today's podcast, you can check out in the show notes and that's over at melissarambrosini.com forward slash 323. And before I go, I just wanted to say thank you so much for being here, for wanting to be the best, the healthiest, and the happiest version of yourself, and for showing up today for you. You rock. Now, if there's someone in your life that you can think of that would really benefit from this episode, please share it with them right now. You can take a screenshot, share it on your social media, email it to them, text it to them, do whatever you've got to do to get this in their ears. And until next time, my darling, don't forget that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word.